Napa know-how. Just in time for the holidays, select Craftsman tools are now available at Napa. Celebrate with a Craftsman 20-volt cordless impact wrench kit for just $149.99. It's the perfect gift for everyone in your list, even you. So get great savings on select Craftsman tools, now available at your local Napa store. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores, while supplies last. Offer ends 12-31-19. The Geeky Retro Nerd Show is part of the Art, Comedy and Pop Culture Network of Podcasts. Hi, how are you doing? Welcome to the Geeky Retro Nerd Show. My name is Adam and I am a Geeky Retro Nerd. And this show, of course you know by now, this show is sponsored by the terrific folks at truffleshuffle.com. Mosey on over to that website and you will see a load of geeky gifts and retro bits and pieces T-shirts, that's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> and if you use my exclusive discount code GRNS15, that is GRNS15, you will receive a 15% discount if you spend £25 or more. So that's brilliant, isn't it? And there's international shipping, so everybody can be involved. And coming soon as well, I am now affiliated with Pop and a Box and my Geek Box. More on that coming very, very soon. Exciting stuff. For now, I've put a couple of links in the episode notes to keep you going. Uh, but more on that very, very soon. Executive producers for this episode is Glenn Davies, Dee Flynn, Joy Gradwell from Mind Active, Mark Straker and Karnak Comics. Do you want to be credited as an executive producer? Check out the LibraPay link in the episode notes. And if you donate to the show, and every donation goes back into the show and covers some of the running costs, to say thank you to you, I will credit you as an executive producer on the show, like I just have done there with Glyn Davies, Dave Flynn, Joy Gradwell from Mind Active, Mark Straker, who's a good buddy of mine, and Karnak Comics. Now then, here we go, part two of my incredible conversation with Mark Marshall. If you haven't listened to part one, have a listen. Um, if you have listened to part one, I hope you enjoyed it. It's so interesting and such a nice fella as well. He's kept in touch with me on Facebook since, uh, just having crazy conversations. Uh, last night, I was telling him about the Beano and the Dandy comics, <laughs> which he'd never heard of. Uh, but he's a really nice fella. So without further ado, here we are, part two. Enjoy. So I just wanted to talk about, uh, you know, we've mentioned Goonies a couple of times. Uh, I, I saw that you put a video on Facebook a little while ago. It was a home video. I'm not 100% sure if you shot it or not, but um, it, it's, a, it's a home video and everybody's on a bus going somewhere. And, and all the kids are there, and um, I'm not sure who else is there. Was that you shooting that home video? Yes, it was. And I'll uh, tell you the story behind that. Um, <clears throat> we were in the final probably two weeks of, of production on, on uh, Goonies, and, of course, 
you know, both units were going full time and, and, um, and they were actually sharing the cast members. So one day, um, Jeff Cohen, who was just an incredibly funny and warm kid, mm. uh, shows up at the studio with a suitcase that says Maui or bust. And now Dick Donner um, <laughs> had has a or had a, a, a beach house in Maui, and by that point in the production, Dick was so burned out, and I mean, he loved those kids, um, but you know he just they were hard work. Oh, and it was just overwhelming, and 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 you know he had the kids around him all the time, and Dick was a confirmed bachelor at that time, so he all he could think of was I'm getting out of here in two weeks. <laughs> so uh, when Jeff showed up at the Maui bus said, "Hey Dick, when are we going to Maui?" Dick laughed, and you know, and they went back to work, but he said, "Go show Spielberg." So so Jeff went over and did the whole routine for Stephen, and Stephen said, "Wait a minute," um, he said, "I have an idea." So he called me over, and said. Um, I want you to arrange for uh, for all the kids and a parent or a guardian, um, the um, Fratellis and and um, uh, the two teachers, the kids' teachers. Uh, I want you to arrange for them to go to Maui, and uh, we're going to play a, a joke on Donner. And uh, so <clears throat> I very innocently said, "Well, you know, who's going to chaperone them?" And he said, "Okay, you go." So um, I made all the arrangements and, and, uh, you know, the night of the, I guess the very last, the last week of production, um, the kids were in on it, of course. And so were, uh, so were Joey, Robert and Annie. And they were, they didn't want to give away the surprise because Stephen said, if Dick finds out, he said, it's off, the trip's (laughs) off. So the only way they could not say anything around Dick was to kind of ignore him. And so, and, and that really hurt, Donner's feelings because he loved those kids, but and and here they were suddenly just kind of being very aloof, and so the night of the uh, we we wrap production and we had the wrap party that night on the set on the pirate ship, and um, Dick left. I mean he just he he was on the first plane out to Maui, and we still had a couple of days of of second unit shooting you know inserts and things like that. And the very last shot that we did with the kids was the shot of of all the kids um, looking down in the camera at the jewels Oh yeah, that have been pulled out of the bag. That was the very last shot we did. And so we kicked the, the, the plan into gear and uh, uh, got the flights booked and, and uh, we got over there and uh, had a, had a, a chartered bus waiting for us. And that was the, um, so, I, I started I had the the Betamax the Beta Movie camera, and um, took it with me and because I Stephen wasn't going to be there of course so he and he wanted to see the joke, so uh, I videotaped it and um, <laughs> uh, just uh, started on the bus and you know the 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 thing the reason I posted that was because uh, several years ago at the Goonies, 30th anniversary celebration in Astoria, um, I showed just that clip, and. And it, it, at the time, it seemed it was almost like the Holy Grail because yeah. um, audience, you know, the fans never really got to see the kids just being the kids and and, yeah. and the adults interacting. And, and so it it, uh, it just really opened up a whole, you know, another realm for them. And, and uh, so I, that's why I posted that. But anyway, um, we um, Stephen uh, Dick's housekeeper. Uh, got him out of the house for the day, and we arrived at the at the house, 
and uh, went in, and the kids proceeded to trash the house. Oh, uh, no. they, they threw clothes all around, newspapers, everything. And uh, Dick came back later that afternoon and turned the corner at the back of the house and sees half the kids um, outside on the patio, and the other kids in watching television, uh, <laughs> on the adults. And, and uh, they turned and looked at him and went, oh, hi, Dick. And Dick went into shock. Uh, and uh, he uh, started, you know, he sat down and he started rocking back and forth and going, oh, my God, oh, my God. Uh, I really think we did put him in shock. And, of course, the kids swarmed on him and were kissing him and hugging him and, and you know, patting his head and, and mm-hmm. stuff. And Dick recovered, but uh, it was he was just overwhelmed. And then, uh, so, of course, the kids were all, yelling at once and and dick yelled shut up in that <laughs> voice of his and and the kids walked him out into the backyard toward the beach and dick looked out and here come uh, annie ramsey joey panliano and robert davi um uh, <laughs> climbing all over each other and you know the the guys are are fighting and annie's hitting them both and and uh, just like the fratellis at the end of the movie and, <laughs> and dick's legs went out from under him and he sank to his knees and he was he just couldn't stop laughing and uh, so uh i got all that on on video and and one of these days maybe i'll i'll be able to to post that but uh um dick had me call uh steven and, and tell him they were bringing daughter home on an air ambulance <laughs> But it was it was really uh, and you know it actually made the trade papers and everything it was it was really something and then Stephen as a as a reward to the to the cast uh, gave them five days in Honolulu so we had a wow. uh, so after the after the the practical joke um, we went to the store and bought a ton of of uh, meat and things like that and and had a big barbecue that night uh, and Dick invited his next door neighbor Alice Cooper over. <laughs> And uh, the kids, of course, were in heaven because they, you know, they they loved Alice Cooper, and wow. it was just a really special time. And then and then I have other tapes of uh, some of the other events we did, like a luau and and catamaraning at sunset, things like that, um, and a lot of pictures too. And and so it was such a wonderful time. And um, you know, and then of course the movie came out and 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 did okay, but then kind of grew in cult status. Oh, it's it's definitely got a cult status, that's for sure. Earlier this year, I went to see the Goonies in Edinburgh um, on the big screen with a live orchestra. Oh, really? Playing the score. Yeah, it I was wonderful. I love the score to that. Oh, incredible. And, and and they did such a great job. It was, I was moved to tears at points, Mark. I don't mind telling you. It was incredible. And I took my daughter and our boyfriend as well. And they loved it. And actually, I'm hosting a screening of the Goonies in a couple of weeks' time in Edinburgh. Are you uh, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I do cinema screenings of, uh, you know, 80s movies. I did Labyrinth a couple of weeks ago. There was 265 people there for that. Wow. Uh, I, I just like the try to play my own little part in keeping them alive and, and maybe trying to, you know, introduce them to, to um, you know, a new audience to, to, to the kids these days. Well, that's how it stays alive, isn't it? I mean, and, and even though it's probably so far removed from the kids nowadays who have their faces buried in their, in their, you know, 
personal electronic devices and things. Yeah. Um, it's it was you know you couldn't make Goonies today. I don't I no. really don't think you could, but um, it was really the last innocent time and when kids could really have an adventure like that. And yeah. um, so I, I and a lot of the the people who I talked to. Um, they saw it, you know, as kids, and and one of their their really bonding moments with their children was showing in Goonies for the first time. Yeah. Um, so you know, when you when you work on a movie, you just hope number one that it's going to be good, that it's going to make money for whoever. Yeah. Um, but to be embraced like that, so many years down the road, uh, and just have it grow in popularity is is really overwhelming. Um, I mean, the, the Goonies was a huge movie in my childhood, and I met Sean Astin and uh, Jonathan uh, Key Kwai in Glasgow, of all places, um, <laughs> at a Comic Con. And, you know, I shook their hands and thanked them so much uh, for that movie. Um, I don't know if they thought I was a little mad, but, um, you know, no, I, no. I, I, I just went for it because I, I did, I, well, I, I'll not get that chance again to speak to Sean Astin and, and Jonathan. Well, you know, Sean and Key and Corey and, you know, the, the, those three really do the, the conventions and all. And, and uh, um, you know, I've talked to them extensively about it, and they, and they never get tired of hearing that. Um, uh, I, I think it just reinforces to them that they were part of something iconic. And, you know, Sean has, has probably had more than his share of that with uh, Rudy and Lord of the Rings and now yeah. Stranger Things. But, yeah. but, uh, but Goonies will still be, uh, you know, uh, it's, I got to tell you that when you work on a film, uh, especially if you're on location, you, you become kind of a quasi family um, yeah. because you spend all your time together really. And, but, but Goonies was really one of the few experiences I've had where everyone has kept in touch and and feels like family, yeah. you know, thirty almost thirty five years on. Yeah. Um, I, I see Sean and Key and and Corey quite a bit, and and um, uh, you know Sean tells when he goes to the conventions. I don't know if he did it at, at the one you were at, but but um, when Sean uh, came to audition uh, for Goonies, he and his dad, his dad uh, or stepdad was John Aston, or is yes. John Aston? Yeah, and of course his mom Patty Duke, and mm -hmm. and uh, John worked with Sean on the sides, uh, for the audition for, for days. And so Sean came to Amblin and, and, um, uh, I was running camera for the, for the casting sessions, um, with Donner and Steven and, and Mike Fenton, who was the casting director. And, um, so we were, um, had finished up with someone and, and Steven said, okay, go get Sean. And so I went out to the, to the lobby to get Sean and we were, we were coming back, uh, to the conference room where, where we'd set up and, and Sean was shaking. And, um, and of course I hadn't met him before, but I said, uh, I said, you look a little nervous. And he said, yeah, I am. And I said, I said, there's nothing to be nervous about. It's just the most, you know, popular director in the world. <laughs> the world. And, and Sean, he couldn't get through the audition. He kept messing up and, and stuff. But, um, you know, I, I, I have felt so guilty about that over the years because Sean relays that. And I, and I but he said, you know, he said that, uh, that, uh, and I really do think that's, that's really what got him, um, the job, it, just his natural, 
his natural charm, uh, you yeah. know, really came through. Um, I don't claim any, you know, responsibility for that, but he, he just, uh, he was real. And, uh, I have the audition. I sent him the audition, um, not too long ago. And he, he was telling an audience, he said, you know, I was so cute. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, um, so they have a, a, a lot of really good memories, uh, from that time. And, you know, making movies, um, uh, is, is, is tough. Um, and it's especially tough on kids. Um, yeah. so the fact that they had, uh, people around them like Donner, um, and Steven, you know, who, who were protective and, and, uh, uh, gave them their, their space to, to, to do their thing. Um, was really important to them. I think it was it was kind of something that they they measured every other experience against. Um, and uh, uh, again, thirty five years later, we're still uh, you know we're still family. Yeah, and and still talking about the movie, and it's still getting shown. It's still on the TV a lot. Um, and quite rightly, you said before, it's got a cult status. Um, and, and you posted the other day on Facebook as well. I promise I'm not stalking you on Facebook. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but you've, you've, <laughs> you've posted on Facebook the other day as well about um, the pirate ship and the Goonies, the Inferno. Yes. That 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 is an incredible set from any movie. It, it was. And, you know, today, of course, it would be green screen. Yeah. Uh, mainly, and uh, but back in in 1984, of course, I mean Mike Riva, um, the, you know, God bless his soul, he um, he was just an amazing production designer, and um, I, I don't know whether it was Donner or Stephen um, that that chose Michael. I think he I think he had done Buckaroo Banzai, um, but anyway, he came to the attention of, of one of the guys, and and uh, um, he brought along. Um, uh, his art director Joe Nemec, and um, who whose son is an actor, uh, Corky Nemec, who Corin Nemec now, um, but uh, and then Joe, uh, Jack Johnson, who was the uh, production illustrator, and it was it was truly amazing. So we watched the the set being built and and uh, never really kind of visualizing the scope of it. And uh, it was built on stage 16, which was the largest, second largest stage in Hollywood. And I'll tell you, uh, it took up every every inch of that of that um, that stage space. So it was just amazing, and it was, you know, a real a real pirate ship had had levels, you know, uh, decks, and and uh, so it was all practical. And um, at that time, you know, before Hook um, became the the, the big uh, Showpiece. Yeah, it was every everybody wanted to see that uh, that set and beyond that set. And and of course, famously, um, well, I've read um, that the the, the kids um, that they wanted to keep that reaction to to the to the ship, and they were shooting the scene, weren't they, for the reaction to the ship? And Josh Brolin famously swore. So, so they couldn't use it. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I mean, um, Stephen had had kind of said to me, um, "It's your responsibility to keep those kids off the set, right. um, not let them see it." And um, uh, I know that Sean snuck in and saw it, um, but Corey <laughs> swore for years that he never saw it 
ahead of time. But just recently, I guess, at one of the conventions, he admitted that he did see it. Okay. So not only did I fail, but um, they were liars. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, when they so they had seen it already. And, and uh, but Josh, yeah, um, uh, did did swear and they had to do a second take. But it's still even second take. It, it, it was pretty, pretty awe inspiring. Um, uh, I still remember, you know, their reactions uh, from the first take. And uh, the second one didn't very, very much. Brilliant. <laughs> I love that story. And as well, uh, in the Goonies, um, there was a, a famously, there was a scene cut, wasn't there, with the octopus? And, and Data says at the end of the film, the octopus was very scary, but we never see an octopus. But of course, we, we now know that there, there was a scene and I've seen it. And if I'm honest, I'm glad that it got cut. Because yeah, it, 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 it did not look good. good. It really no. didn't look good. And I got to tell you, I mean, the, um, uh, speaking of kind of not looking good, you know, the original ending of Goonies uh, took place up at Mikey's house. Um, and uh, Troy and his dad come up the the hill, and uh, the moving van is there, and Rosalita um, uh, finds the the jewels in. Well, she's doing the laundry, right. and uh, the the washing machine starts um, going haywire, and she opens up and finds the jewels. And um, uh, but it was really the first time that the that we see sloth, and um, the original makeup designer, uh, Craig Reardon, who was really great. I mean, I think, I think Craig may worked on gremlins, um, had used a, a kind of a new, um, uh, a latex material or something. And it, and it was, it was cracking. It wasn't working. And, um, so sloths makeup looked really terrible on camera. Oh, yeah. And, um, so Craig kind of ended his association and they brought in the Bermans, uh, um, Sherry and Tom Berman, and uh, the ending was reshot down in Bodega Bay, uh, which is the ending that's in the movie. So yeah. Um, it's, uh, uh, yeah, it was, so speaking of not looking good, but the octopus really didn't, uh, and, and, and I don't think the movie suffers by, you know, when, when Key says the octopus no. was really scary, you know, they don't, they don't know if he's, if he's yeah, just, just rating or whatever, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, there were several, actually several, things that uh that we cut out there was also um and i'm sure you've heard of this the the gorillas um i think uh, i have yeah in and and i have storyboards for it and, and actually I, I think i may even have some footage somewhere but um in the in the in the script um the kids uh, i think um it, when they're doing the the stuff with the pipes and everything something happens and and the the gorilla enclosure at the zoo the the uh, yes lock comes you know uh, is uh, kind of loose and and uh, anyway the gorillas get out and they end up stealing Troy's car <laughs> and going for a joyride uh, and so of course Troy's dad buys him a brand new car and um, the original ending of course that we shot up at the house um, you, we see the police chasing the gorillas and they're and they're weaving in and out in, down the street uh, by Mikey's house and they they round a corner and they just miss Troy's new car but the police <laughs> car doesn't round it you know sharply enough and and rams right into Troy's new car and just destroys it 
and uh, and then that's yeah that's the last of the gorillas but um and so we shot we shot that footage but uh it never we never shot the um earlier footage um of them uh stealing a golf cart on a on a golf course things like that so really it um uh it, we can kind of be grateful that that never worked out either yeah <laughs> I think I'd, I had read about the gorillas actually. You've, you you reminded us there uh, when yeah, you I said, "Yeah, I have pictures." Yeah, oh, brilliant. Um, I, I know we've been talking for a long time, Mark. If, if you want to go, just say, "Adam, I'm finished." No, <laughs> uh, but I'm sorry. No, I'm I'm enjoying. Are you okay? Cool. Yeah, sure, man. I'm loving it. This, this is exactly <laughs> why I started doing the podcast to 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 talk about um, things like this. I'm finding it absolutely fascinating but there was a, there was another that's, that's a great guess i don't know why you why you were slumming with me <laughs> well you you said before i started recording that you weren't a very good podcast guest well let me tell you you are mark <laughs> absolutely well, brilliant i'm buzzing well, on this you, conversation um, and there was there was another couple of things i wanted to mention about uh, your time at amblin and, and if you had any sort of recollection of it or any involvement or, or whatever um you know, Goonies in 1985, and, and and actually I mentioned it before when we were talking about the movies released in 1985, Young Sherlock Holmes, um, yes. which was a movie I loved. I did too. I, I haven't seen it too much recently, if I'm honest. I think it's on Netflix. I think it is. Um, but the, the, the thing that gets spoken about the most with Young Sherlock Holmes, apart from it being a fantastic movie, is uh, I'm sure it's the first example of a full full CGI character. Yes, it is. In a movie. Yes. Right after Lucasfilm um, or ILM formed their computer division uh, early on, that was the first uh, project they worked on. And uh, so it's the it's the first example of, of a of a full CGI character in a movie. And that again, that was what. Um, eight years before Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Well, then you look at something like um, The Last Starfighter from 1984. Brilliant film. And complete, you know, um, uh, I don't know what, what they used, uh, you know, to to do that. But and, and even though, you know, you could tell now, of course, that it yeah. didn't look really. Still, it was bold um, and um, still pretty jaw-dropping. Yeah. And they're making a sequel to that, not a reboot. A sequel. To Are the they Last really with the, with the Lance Guest? And I mean, of I'm, course, Robert Preston's gone, but no, I, I don't know who's going to be in it. But um, Gary Witter, who wrote um, Rogue One, um, Star Wars uh, Rogue One, he's been tweeting a few th- a few things about it lately that he's involved with it. He's writing it. Um, so I don't know if I don't know if you know of Gary or you know Gary Witter. I know who um, yeah, I know who he is, and and I got to tell you, I you know I, I I love projects like this because of course, it's it's part of my my film going experience, part of my youth as well, and so um, any chance to revisit, um, you know these movies, uh, I I'm not picky, I'm really not. <laughs> um, yeah, so what I was going to say anyway was um, about young Sherlock Holmes and the CGI character. What was you know again was the uh, what what was the feeling then that that it, that they that they had achieved this you know did 
was was the vibe right we've we've, we've hit we've hit on something really special here um you know that this is going to change filmmaking the, the way we've done this well if you know Stephen may have felt that way um yeah. uh, but it really wasn't a, a talking point at all no, um, right. in fact it was it really wasn't even mentioned when the when the film came out um and you know you watch the film and it and it's it's um this it's kind of so it fits in so beautifully that you don't really think about wow is that computer generated i mean yeah. it's uh it, it just goes by unnoticed um uh of course i think the it's amazing to look back at it but at the time no i don't think it was um it was even a a, a point of discussion at all wow um i'll tell you I, I personally it's one of my favorite scores too i mean bruce broughton did oh brilliant score Oh, an amazing job. And and uh, um, I think there was more talk about the score at the time than there was about the CGI character. Right. I mean, it, it does surprise us that there was no, there wasn't a bigger deal made about the CGI character. Um, I would have expected a lot more buzz about, you know, that this is going to change the way things are going to be done. Now. Napa Just in time for the holidays, select Craftsman tools are now available at Napa. Celebrate with a Craftsman 20-volt cordless impact wrench kit for just $149.99. It's the perfect gift for everyone in your list, even you. So get great savings on select Craftsman tools, now available at your local Napa store. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa Know-How. Napa Know-How. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores, while supplies last. Offer ends 12-31-19. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5000. Enjoy. I, yeah, you know, I, I think CGI may have been a buzz in in the effects community and, yeah, and, yeah, and parts of the filmmaking community, but but I think overall um, it wasn't um, it, it wasn't really thought of. I mean, it was it was probably it may have been like you know how sound was viewed um, at the end of the silent era. Oh, it's just a fad, you know it won't ever really amount to anything. And, and um, I mean, that's supposition on my part, but I, I, I don't think it was ever really taken seriously at all. Um, and in fact, Stephen, you know, he was really resigned to uh, doing the, the dinosaur footage as stop motion um, yeah. or even no motion um, until Dennis Muren did that test. Yeah. Cause it wasn't Phil Tippett. That was going to do the um, dinosaur stop motion, yes. and, I think, and I think Phil Tippett famously said, when 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 all that got knocked on the head, I think he famously said, um, you know, my my job is going to become extinct 
and that and yeah. that's what and that's when Jeff, that's why Jeff Goldblum and the, they used it in the film. Yes, uh, yes, um, and and I mean I can't imagine. I mean the 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 tradition of of um, of stop motion, you know, from King Kong um, forward, just uh, you know to 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 have it kind of disappear. Um, uh, of course, I mean you you've also got um, you know the films like that Leica does like Kubo and the Two Strings, things like that. I don't know if that's traditional stop motion, but but you're right, it's a dying art. Yeah. I mean when I was a kid I loved Ray Harryhausen. I loved um, oh, me too. I loved Jason and the Argonauts. Um, you know, all the stuff he did. Um I was just absolutely fascinated by it. I loved it. Um something else I was going to mention to you. Were you still at Amblin for Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yes. Um I was there. Yes, I was. And, um, in fact, um, uh, I was, Stephen had me, you know, uh, always shooting video footage, uh, wherever I could. And, um, one day, um, he said, I want you to go over to the movies while you wait building, which was, which was originally designed as uh, a writer's building, uh, five different offices, um, for five different writers, but Bob Z and Bob Gale kind of took it over for, for Back to the Future and ended up staying in it. And uh, it had a conference room, and Stephen said, uh, I want you to go over and uh, shoot some footage. So I went over to the conference room and walked in, and there was uh, Richard Williams from Disney and Chuck Jones, you know, Warner Brothers, sitting across a, a table from each other, and they were sketching the uh, Daffy Duck, Donald Duck um, piano dueling sequence. Yeah. Wow. And um, I have about 23 minutes of footage of these guys. They were just, they were just talking back and forth and, and one would sketch something and, and pass it over to the other guy and the other guy would add to it and then pass it back. And, and uh, you know, um, again, not realizing at the time you're watching these two masters at work. Yeah. Uh, and uh, um, so I'm, I'm really glad I have the footage, but um but yeah, that was, uh, uh, and then of course they went over to shoot in England. So, um, uh, there was just the first part I think was shot, um, uh, in Hollywood down outside of Raleigh studios. But, um, yeah, it was, that was another, uh, amazing time. I think that was, that of course was a big deal. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, I mean, that was massively ahead of its time. Yeah. I mean, animation coexisting so, so intricately, with live action, um, and uh, and that changed a lot of things too. Oh yeah, and and you know when I wa- when I watched that as a kid, um, no, I loved it. I loved it as a movie. <clears throat> Excuse me, I loved it as a movie. You know, but you don't you don't really appreciate when you're a child watching these things, um, the effort and the skill um, that that went into that movie. I talked to Mike Quinn um, sometimes on Instagram. Uh, I know he was involved with that movie, um, and uh, Bob Hoskins as well. You know, I, I got recently. I got the Blu-ray of um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and there's a there's a lot of the raw um, shot footage of Bob Hoskins in that. And Bob Hoskins, what a talent he was! Yes, to, to be able to act when there's nothing there. <laughs> oh, I agree. I agree, and. Um... Uh, you know, so many actors have uh, since then have said, you know, um, I'm acting against green screen and there's nothing there and, and I don't know how to react. And, and uh, you know, it's it's just limited by your imagination. So Bob really um, 
use that. He really was a fine actor and uh, and just it seemed like a genuinely nice man too. Yeah, and like I say, it's so clever to when when you watch the footage without the cartoons and everything in it. So so clever. He absolutely nailed it. Um, so when when did you leave? Amblin, uh, I left um, in uh, in late 1988. Stephen was over in London shooting um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right. and I started getting that restless feeling again. And I knew uh, I wanted to get into production. That was one thing I knew. But I also knew that it was never going to happen um, at Amblin. Right. Uh, you know, I was going to be 70 years old and 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 still picking up Stephen's laundry and, and, uh, as much as I loved it and I, and I loved Amblin, I love the people there. Um, it just, it's, it's that desire to, to, again, to get out on your own and, and yeah. to try to do something. So, so, um, I, I, I sent my resignation letter to Stephen while he was over on the set and, and, um, he, he, last thing he said to me was, you know, you'll always have a job here, which I thought was the nicest thing he could say. And, and, um, and, uh, it was Richard Donner who, you know, I, um, I met on Goonies and, and, yeah. uh, I, my introduction to Dick was that, um, when I, when I was formally introduced, um, I said, um, you're the man responsible for my nightmares. And he got the biggest <laughs> kick out of it. He directed probably one of the best Twilight Zone episodes ever, uh, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet with William Shatner. You oh, know, the yeah. Grand, the plane. Yeah. And, um, I saw that when I was eight years old, and, and it terrified me so badly that to this day I cannot sleep with curtains open. I have to have them closed. <laughs> um, and Dick got the biggest kick out of that. But but Dick um, was just is just one of those rare people who um, will give someone a chance to do something, and as long as they prove they can do it, they can keep doing it. And so um, Dick hired me as a, as a production representative. For, for him uh, on a uh, HBO series called Tales from the Crypt. And, uh, you know, Dick was in the middle of Lethal Weapon movies and, and didn't have time to be really paying close attention to the series. Um, you know, and, and Bob Zemeckis, uh, Walter Hill, David Geiler, Joel Silver were all executive producers and all had their own projects they were doing. So uh, Dick is the one who gave me a chance to, to actually be involved in that. And then that kind of led, you know, one thing into another. And, and I, and I, uh, so Dick is really the one who gave me a chance to, to be involved in, in the production end. Brilliant. And and when you were there, you were involved in things like Lethal Weapon 3. Tales I did. I, crypt, during a hiatus right? on, yeah, on hiatus on, um, on Tales from the Crypt, um, Jenny Lou Tugan, um, who was Dick's, uh, one of Dick's producers and actually started his as his assistant um, needed an assistant um, on uh, radio flyer and so I did that and then um, uh, on the next item so I did lethal weapon 3 and it was during that uh, during production on lethal weapon 3 that that dick um, decided to do free Willie and oh, yeah. uh, a Jenny producer on that, and then Jenny said, "Okay, you're going to associate produce this, and you're also going to do uh, post production." So that was my intro Brilliant. introduction to post production. Excellent. And, and what was it like working on on that movie? On on Lethal Weapon Three or Free uh, Willy? Uh, Free Willy. Free. You know, it was amazing. It was amazing. Warner Brothers 
um, at the time, you know, had had things like Batman and Lethal Weapon, and mm-hmm. and um, uh, they had Clint Eastwood and Mel Gibson and and you know all these all these big stars, and so uh, we were referred to as that whale movie, and <laughs> um, in fact. Whenever the executives would look at dailies of all the movies that were shooting on the lot or on location at the time, um, we were always put up last. And I think there was one executive who maybe watched our dailies, and that was the executive kind of who was assigned to our to our film. Um, and it wasn't until uh, we had the first screening of the film and got the highest test scores in Warner history that that suddenly we were on the radar. Um, so it, it was amazing, but I, I'll tell you, um, I, um, I love Jenny Lou. I, I just, I adore her. And, and, uh, Simon Windsor was, was such a, a, a perfect director for this movie. And, um, and, you know, our kid, Jason Richter, um, it was his first movie ever and what a natural. Um, but then getting to work with Laurie Petty and, and Augie Schellenberg, um, who passed away several years ago and, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Madsen and, and, yeah. uh, uh, Richard Reilly and Michael Ironside, man, we had such a great cast and, and it was really probably one of the greatest, uh, production experiences I've had. Well, and, and it was a super, it was a very popular movie, wasn't it? It was, you know, and, and again, you know, um, going back, uh, to what I said earlier about, you know, you hope you work on a production that that has an impact too. Um, we we got so many letters from from kids um, who just took that movie to their heart, and a yeah. lot of them um, ended up going to uh, you know becoming marine biologists wow. uh, or being interested in wildlife um, um, and. You know, later on when we did, uh, when we announced the sequel, um, you know, uh, obviously Keiko, the whale was, or the orca was still down in, in um, uh, Mexico City at Reno Aventura. And uh, here we were going to go ahead and start this production and, and use animatronic whales only. And the hate letters started pouring in from all over the country, all over the world, actually. And um, we had a little girl... Um, who wrote in and said, you know, if you don't get that whale out of Mexico City, I'm going to kick your ass. Um, <laughs> we had, you know, um, they addressed letters, you know, dear Mr. Cruelty. Um, so it that spurred Warner Brothers into action and, uh, you know, brought Free Willy to life literally by getting Keiko out of there, rehabilitating him in, in the Pacific Northwest and then, and then setting him free to wow. rejoin his pod. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great story, but, but that's, that's how much that Keiko meant to those people, to the fans. And, uh, and we still get, you know, there's still letters from, from, uh, uh, kids who saw that movie when they were, you know, four or five, six, seven years old and who are now, in the in the either biology field or marine biology or whatever, that's really gratifying. I was going to say it must be so uh, gratifying to hear those kind of stories. And oh, and, yeah. at, and and at this point, Mark, um, was this you starting to realize you know your ambition? Well, I'll tell you, I fell in love with uh, with post production um, right. um, on Free Willy, and I, before that, I, you know, I had limited experience on Radio Flyer with it, and um, I really didn't know what it was about. But I got to tell you, you know, um, I just fell in love with it and, and, and realized that really is where the movie's made. 
um, is is post production. I mean, you know, you you have to plan the movie, you have to shoot it, obviously, but you really know you have a movie um, when you when you cut it together for the first time and and you look at it and you realize what it can be or or the or what problems you have. And um, uh, I love I love editors, I love sound editors, I love uh, composers. I mean, uh, I majored in music in college for a while, and, and so yeah, I, I actually. Believe it or not, got a voice scholarship to a, a, a small university, oh, wow. and but it wasn't for me really. But I've always loved music, and so getting to um, to work alongside you know John Williams and and uh, Quincy Jones and wow. uh, uh, some some really um, uh, great composers has it, just been has been a thrill for me. But but so um, now kind of I've moved away from post production. Um, you know, it's changed so much and, and, uh, a guy my age really, you know, um, I think really the only option left is to produce because it's the only thing that doesn't have a, have an age limit on it. All right. I see. Was another ambition of yours to direct? I've never, um, had a, had a, had a passion to direct at all. Um, uh, you know, there's an old saying that if you can't be an athlete, be an athletic supporter. And, um, you know, I always wanted to be the, the support team. I, I wanted to make it happen for other people. And, and uh, I really kind of found that passion on uh, on two short films that, that I worked on with uh, with Sean Astin, actually. Sean yeah. directed a short film when he was 18 uh, called On My Honor. And he asked me to, to um, be the production manager on that. And then, again, a couple years later, during Free Willy, he was um, – he, he did a short called uh, Kangaroo Court, which was actually nominated for an Academy Award. And um, and I served as UPM on that. And and um, I don't know, I guess uh, maybe it's just kind of in my nature that I've that I've always kind of had that that servant attitude. You know, I, I, I want to I want people to shine and, and I, I want to support that. So um, that's been just kind of a natural thing for me. I know I can't write. Uh, I know I'll never direct, but but uh, producing is something I can do. Um, Mark, you know, uh, this conversation has been absolutely fascinating. Like I said to you before, this is exactly why I wanted to do the podcast. You, you, <laughs> you've, be, you've been at Lucasfilm. You've, well, actually, I was going to ask you, but I forgot. Did you meet George Lucas? Yes. As well, I'll tell you, while I was at Lucasfilm, um, I waved to George one day across the across the building. We were um, he was outside of we were on the second floor balcony of of, of uh, the egg company, and George was outside of um, Charlie Weber, who was the president of Lucasfilm at the time. He was outside of his office, and I was outside of Sid Gannis's office. And I looked at him and waved, and he waved back. But interestingly enough, and I, I thought, well, George George doesn't know who I am, and that's okay. I mean, he you know he had an empire to worry about, but. Um, uh, Years later, when I when I uh, sent my resignation letter to Stephen, um, and the reason I, I sent it to him is because I, I wanted to have someone in place uh, so when he got back there was no uh, there was no break in continuity. I wanted him yeah. to you know, the other person to be up and running, and um, so I sent the letter over and uh, it it got to London on a Friday, and um, uh, I I called Deborah Fletcher who was Stephen's executive assistant at the time. And said, did Stephen, you know, read the letter? And she said he did, and and uh, he put it down and went back to work. And I thought, oh, well, that you know, Stephen was in his own his own world, and um, and that was fine. I you know, I wasn't hurt by that at all. And then 
uh, Fletch called me Monday Monday morning, following Monday morning, and said, um, um, George just came on the set and said, I heard Mark is leaving. And Stephen freaked out and said, what are, you, what are you talking about? He just, it hadn't registered um, when he had done it. So I was surprised by two things. Number one, that, that, that Stephen had that reaction, but also that George mentioned that because I, uh, I didn't think that George even knew, you know, knew me at all. And that, and again, that's fine. These guys have, have so much on their minds and so many yeah. people they meet. Um, uh, and then the next time I saw George actually was, um, uh, about a year and a half later, Stephen asked if I would, um, take a drive, a birthday present up to George, up to Skywalker ranch. And, um, so I got this van and it was a, it was a big model of something. And I, I, uh, put it in the back of the van and drove it up there. And, and that was the, really the last time I saw George. Um, I was at, at Skywalker several months ago again. And, um, after 20 years and man, it was, had changed so dramatically, but, um, but, uh, uh, George wasn't there. So, you, so you've been to Skywalker Ranch twice, at least. Oh, it's yeah. When it was uh, first, <laughs> when it was just that, just the main house, and then uh, a few months ago, you know, with with um, the technical building and all the all the uh, cottages, you know, uh, for for filmmakers to stay at, and um, it, it's a just a remarkable place, uh, George. And that was George's dream for so many years, yeah. and to see it, you know, fully realized, uh, I, I was just thrilled for him. Were you surprised when he sold Lucasfilm to Disney? Um, yes and no. Um, I think George um, George's interests started to lay elsewhere, but also he never wanted to be the head of a corporation. Mm. He wanted he was a filmmaker, and he all yeah. he wanted to do, and he kept talking about this. You know, he uh, after Star Wars and the success of that, he wanted to just make experimental movies, mm-hmm. really abstract movies, and he never got a chance to do that. Um, because the running the, the company, you know, got in the way. Um, and, uh, I think he just finally said, I, 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 I want to be able to do what I want to do and, you know, not semi-retire, but, but just take it a little bit easier. And, and you know, and, and George has always had a passion for education, uh, and philanthropy. And, and, uh, so, you know, this new, um, uh, the Lucas museum will open, um, I think in the next year or two, uh, down near the University of Southern California in Exposition Park, and that's going to have Star Wars exhibits, but also a lot of other art, and and um, and 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 so I can picture George being extremely happy nowadays, you know, doing that kind yeah. of thing. He, you know, um, I don't know if it's generally known. I mean, it may be, but but you know, uh, all the money that he made from the sale of Lucasfilm, um, he. He gave it away. I mean, it went it went to education and and uh, and uh, other things. And wow. you know, he still has he he's still not hurting. He has plenty of money, but uh, <laughs> but it was uh, you know it, he just has great passion for things. Yeah, I mean, he sounds like a great guy. Uh, do, you, do you still keep in contact with Steven Spielberg? Um, you know, I hear things from from, uh, from him. You know, people who will. Um, talk to Stephen and say, oh, Mark Marshall says hi. And, you know, and Stephen always has a very positive reaction, you know, and, and smiles. And, and uh, at one point, um, gosh, many years ago, I was working on a picture for Warner Brothers called New York Minute. It was the Olsen twins first feature. Right. And um, I get this email uh, from uh, someone at Amblin saying, you know, Stephen is feeling really nostalgic for the past. And so we're going to do a big reunion. And, um, I wrote back and said, great, looking forward to it. But 
inside I thought, you know, it's never going to happen. And uh, sure enough, about two weeks later, I get an email saying, well, Stephen's going to be in New York. He can't be there, but he wants us to have the reunion anyway. And we're going to do it at Amblin and stuff. And, and a week later, I got another email saying, okay, well, we're not going to do it at Amblin. We're going to do it at a restaurant in North Hollywood, but everybody's going to be there. And then two weeks later, it was off, you know. Oh. Uh, so I uh, haven't had a chance, but I got to tell you, he, uh, I, I'm just, um, you know, I'm so happy for him. I'm so proud of him. Um, Schindler's List changed him so so dramatically, um, mm-hmm. I think gave him a piece that he he never had. You know, um, I remember um, uh, the morning of the um, that they announced the Academy Awards for uh, for 1985, and uh, Color Purple got 11 nominations, and Stephen was not nominated. And I remember him being angry at first, and then just hurt. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, and it, then Color Purple was basically shut out. Um, and that was a reaction, I think, of the Academy to Stephen's success. Uh, I remember Bob Zemeckis saying, "There, you know, uh, if you have three things in a movie, you'll never get an Academy Award: sex, special effects, and Spielberg." And, uh, but, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad he didn't get it for Color Purple because um, he uh, Schindler's List was such a special experience for him. Mm-hmm. But I think that's where he, you know, that's where he really deserved it um yeah. not that he didn't deserve it for color purple but i thought schindler's was just such a, a special movie so um uh he's he's steve was always gracious he uh, he never yelled at me and i have a theory about why but uh, it's too long to go into here but um but he was always good to me and um uh, uh i always i look back really fondly on on those years at Amblin and and really what everybody accomplished there um, was was truly amazing. But we just we were making movies and that's all that mattered. Well, I, I think I know why he was always good to you. It's because uh, you're a nice fella. <laughs> you're a very nice fella. You know, I, I don't think it's a fluke that you've you you got a job at Lucasfilm, you got a job at Amblin, working with uh Richard Donner, working on all these incredible movies. After speaking to you, I know that that is not a fluke. Um mm. I've I've been absolutely fascinated by by this conversation. And I've already said two or three times that this is exactly the kinds of conversations I wanted to be having on the podcast. And and Mark, remember when I I messaged you first time on Facebook and you said, yeah, I'll come on the show, but I'm not that interesting. And I said, I bet you are. Well, you are. Uh, (laughs) And you are very, you are too kind. Um, But it has been a pleasure for me. And, and um, I have to tell you, you know, my, my godson, Travis, who's in his thirties now and works in television um, said, uncle Mark, you have to write a book. And, uh, you know, all I thought was, look, you know, the non-disclosure agreements alone is going to keep that from happening. But um, he said, well, just write it for me then. And, and uh, so, you know, I've been thinking about putting some things down. My friend Craig Miller actually has a book on his years at Lucasfilm and, and uh, his involvement with Star Wars from, from uh, you know, uh, through, the, through the trilogy. Uh, he also worked on Labyrinth and Dark Crystal. I mean, Craig's done a lot of stuff. But his book's coming out in November. All right. And called Star Wars Memories. And uh, so it's been kind of germinating in my mind. But I, uh, again, I still just don't think it's interesting enough to, you know, tell a lot of little anecdotes about about 
the time there. But it's fun reminiscing. It really is. Uh, um, uh, I, I, it's just been uh, a wonderful, a wonderful ride. If you do write the book, and and for what it's worth, I think you absolutely should. Um, I promise you, there'll be there'll definitely be at least two people buying it, me and Travis. <laughs> well, thank you. That's that's five dollars <laughs> I can count on. Then I appreciate that. I... So that was part two of the Mark Marshall conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. What a nice fella. I must have said it a million times over these two episodes, but he is a nice fella. Uh, incredible, incredibly interesting career um you know w- working for steven spielberg at lucasfilm working on all these great movies and i didn't even get as far as talking about his involvement in harry potter um i'll have to get him back on the show and talk to him about that what do you think let me know on facebook geeky retro nerd show let me know on twitter at geeky retro nerds feedback welcome i want to hear from you talk to me So that's it for this week. I've got loads more stuff coming up. Loads more stuff coming up on the show. I've got um, interviews already recorded with Dee Wallace and Robert McNaughton from ET. So that's coming very, very soon. With Nick Malley, uh, who was uh, a creature designer on Star Wars and he helped create Yoda. I've already got that one as well. I've got um, loads of stuff. So hit that subscribe button. And I'll speak to you again very soon. Thank you. Napa now, a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil in a Platinum Filter is just $23.98. That's a great deal for a great oil, which is another reason why this is the most wonderful time of the year. That's Napa Full Synthetic Oil in a Platinum Filter for $23.98. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa Know-How. Napa Know-How. General States pricing. Sales prices do not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. While supplies last. Offer ends 12-15-19. Buckle up, because Metro is bringing you the best deal in wireless. Switch to Metro and get your choice of two awesome free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens and tons of memory for all your pics and videos. So hurry into Metro and get your awesome free phones only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port and of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions.